Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. This is week number three now. We've jumped into a a verse-by-verse study through the book of Genesis. And uh, last week we looked at four words, in the beginning, God. We saw that, the first four words of the Bible. And I told you last week, because we've made it four words into this book based on the number of words in Genesis, and the fact that we've been in it for two weeks already, it's going to take us 368 years of Sunday mornings to get through this book at that pace. So we're going to pick up the pace a little bit this morning. And uh, last week was four words, 17 letters in our English language, but those words packed with so much power and with so much meaning and answers to questions that have faced mankind for millennia. And this morning, our message is going to be three little words. Last week was four, this morning is going to be three, but it's going to take us a while to get there. Uh, We're going to bring that application at the end, much like we did last week, and we're actually going to cover 26 verses before we get to those three words. And to start, we're going to have a little bit of a Sunday school class. This message is kind of two parts. The first half is going to be a little bit of a Sunday school class. So like if you have children and they get in the car and you ask them, what'd you learn in church today? And what do they say? What did your teacher teach about? Jesus. The Bible, right? Tell me more about that. What part of the Bible? What, what, what attribute of Jesus? Give me a little more detail. So now your kids can ask you, what did you learn, mom and dad? And you're going to have a little bit of a, uh, of a lesson this morning. And then the message is going to come there toward the end of the message, the application, the takeaway. And so we're going to do a little bit of a Sunday school lesson. And like they would in Sunday school, we're going to give away some pictures of Abraham Lincoln right here. Am I right, Craig? You work in children's ministry there. How many of you would like to win a picture of Abraham Lincoln right here? I have to be honest, you guys are not as exciting as kids, all right? Kids are much, $5 goes a lot farther with emotions and excitement in children's class. It's like the difference, I love our teenagers, but it's the difference between preaching in elementary chapel and secondary chapel. We'll play a game in elementary chapel, hundreds of kids in the auditorium going wild. We'll play it when secondary chapel and the teens are like staring at you like, this is so dumb. Come on, let's play something else. And uh, so we're going to, I'm going to give away, if you're paying attention, I'm going to do a little review. And I've got some $5 bills. We'll see if the boys are going to win or the girls this morning. Who's going to know the, who's going to pay attention the best, the boys or the girls? Let's jump into it. Genesis chapter number one. Let's begin in reading verse number one aloud together. Genesis one, verse one. Let's read that aloud together. Ready? begin. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. What a powerful verse to start the Bible with. As Philip said so beautifully about this verse, he said, in one sublime statement, God sweeps aside atheism by asserting his existence. Polytheism by declaring himself to be one, and pantheism by separating himself from matter. In one sentence, and we we said last week that this may be the most important sentence in all of the Bible, for if this sentence is not true, then the rest of the Bible is not true. This sentence is the foundation upon which the rest 
of Scripture rests upon. It is the foundation upon which the entirety of our Christian faith rests upon. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. Look at verse number two, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Without form and void, that word that we've translated into English to without form and void, in the Hebrew, it's a rhythmic phrase that is tohu vavohu. It was a rhythmic phrase, a common expression for a place that is disordered and empty. The earth was disordered and empty, without form and void. And I want you to remember that phrase for a little later in the message. Darkness is hovering over this primeval ocean, waiting for God to make something beautiful, much like maybe a lump of clay is sitting there waiting for the potter to come and craft a beautiful vessel. That's where we find ourselves in verse number two. And before we jump into it's, it's seven days of creation, but we're going to look at the six days, what we would call the six days of creation. I believe that the seventh day is a part of creation. God was teaching us something very important in day seven. We're We're going to get there in a future message, but today we're going to be looking in our Sunday school lesson at the six days of creation. And as we look into these six days and really jump into Genesis, I want to make it clear that I firmly, with my whole heart, believe that Genesis is a literal account, a literal account of literal people who experienced literal events. Genesis is not a collection of myths of metaphors or of abstract concepts. I believe that historically. I believe that in the Old Testament we see that. I believe in the New Testament you see Jesus and some of the disciples and apostles referencing back to Genesis as true literal history. Sometimes God deniers or those that want to cast doubt on on the Christian faith will say, well, that's just a book of poetry. That's just a book of mythology. That's just a book of, and, and, and I don't believe that to be the case. And with that in mind, I'd also like to say that I believe that the Bible teaches in several places and, and in several different ways that these six days of creation, my belief is they were literal, six literal 24-hour days. I believe the Bible, and and that could be a whole separate message or study that we may do sometime, but I do not personally believe in what is called a day-age theory that attempts to say that each day was millions of years or some vast period of time. I don't believe in the gap theory, which tries to say there's this, these millions of years that happened in between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. Any doctrine that you can come up with, that you would not come up with by a plain reading of the Bible, I would be very wary of. I would never read Genesis chapter number one and come up with a theory which is out there with some. In fact, I believe the Bible that I use, the the man whose reference notes are in this Bible, he believed in the gap theory, meaning that in between Genesis one and Genesis two, there was this big gap of millions of years. Well, a plain reading of scripture would never tell us that. And so I don't ascribe to that. I don't believe that. I I don't believe in the revelation theory, or neither do I believe in theistic evolution. Most of these theories that I've mentioned, and I'm happy to sit down if you have questions about them and and, and or give you good literature and, and scripture to read if you'd like, but most of these theories are the result of Christians being scared of scientists 
and things that come out in scientific theories and trying to answer what godless Bible-denying scientists would say with the creation account of Scripture. And so we come up with these convoluted theories, in my opinion, that the Bible does not give any credence to. Here's what we have to remember. No matter what you believe about creation, it takes faith. Because you weren't there. And I wasn't there. And by the way, that scientist on YouTube wasn't there. And, that, and there's nobody that was there. And so none of us saw it, and, and we can take different things, but it, it, it takes faith. It, it's, it's a matter of, am I going to put my faith in the God of the universe and in his, what I believe, infallible word, or am I going to put my faith in scientists that change their theories every few decades and change their ideas every few centuries about the, the origin of the earth and where it came from? I choose to put my faith in God and in his word. And by the way, science and the Bible do not contradict each other. The Bible is not a history book, but when it speaks of history, it is never wrong. And the Bible is not a science book, but when it speaks of science, the Bible has never been proven to be wrong. In fact, those that think that they have proven it wrong, often their theories, when more scientific developments come out, are proven that they were wrong and what the Bible said was correct. Again, another message for another time, but just to lay out my, my approach to this passage and what I believe, I would, I would call myself, if you will, what is called a young earth creationist. Based on the accounts of Scripture, I believe that God created the earth some 6,000 or so years ago. That is my personal belief, and not just, I didn't just come up with that, I believe that the Bible clearly teaches that, and I believe that even geological records and history all points to supporting those things. Chapter number one, we might get into more of that when we get into Noah's flood later in Genesis. Chapter number one, let's jump into the six days of creation today. Verse number one, would you read verse number one aloud with me? Genesis one, verse three, ready? Begin. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. So boys and girls, the first day of creation, God said, let there be light. So on day one, we have light. And the Bible says in verse number four, it says, and God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light, what church? And the darkness he called what? And the evening and the morning were the first day. Another reason I believe is 24 hours, six 24-hour days. I understand the sun, sun was not yet created here, but it says in the evening and the morning were the first day. We have light. And God separates the light from the darkness, and he calls the light day, and the darkness he calls night. Look at verse number six. And God said, let there be a what, church? A firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament, and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. God created the firmament, or the heaven, or the atmosphere, what we might call the sky, our atmosphere. And what he did He took what we would call our atmosphere, the air there, and he divided the waters beneath the firmament, what we would have our seas and our lands, and the waters above the firmament. And and to be honest, in some ways, this this day of creation, at, at first glance, it sounds a little unimpressive, to be honest. In some ways, God made the sky, okay. But in terms of sheer mechanical engineering, the work of the second day of creation is astounding. The amount of vapor, I'm told, continually suspended in the air above us is estimated at 54,460,000,000 tons. 
And water is 773 times the weight of air, so that gives us some idea of the power required to separate the waters from the waters. You have the waters here on earth and the water above us, and, and, and you have that, that, that atmosphere and, and where all of that vapor and all of those things are, where we get our moisture and where rain comes, that supply of water above the earth maintained by evaporation, the constant lifting up of water from the earth into the atmosphere by the power of the sun. We take all of that for granted. My mind doesn't even comprehend how is it possible we're told that enough water falls in an in annual, in a year, uh, that it could cover, it, and it goes into the seas, obviously, but without evaporation, it's enough to cover all of the land up to three feet. And that is all happening all around the world in different places, and some places like the desert are very dry, and other places like in Hawaii, some of the wettest places on earth, and it's happening all around. And all of that was put into place on day two of creation. Day one, talk to me, we had day one, what, what did he create? We had light, let there be light. And day two, he said, he, God said, let there be a firmament. And it says there the heaven, that's not speaking of, of the, the eternal abode with God of heaven. It's speaking of when we say, I, I lift my eyes up into the heavens. It's, it's, it's meaning up into our atmosphere, the firmament. That is day two is the firmament. Look at verse number nine. And by the way, isn't it interesting that only the earth has the exact right atmosphere for life to survive and thrive? Day two, God perfectly separated the waters from the waters and put the atmosphere, the firmament, in the midst of them, and it created the perfect environment for life to survive and thrive. I guess maybe that all happened by chance. Verse number nine, look at chapter one, verse number nine. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together unto one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God, God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas, and God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. An important phrase there I want you to put away in your head, after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, an herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit whose seed was in itself after his kind. And God saw that it was good, and the evening and the morning were the third day. Day three, God created dry ground and plant life. Dry ground, land, and plant life. And, and Moses, as he's writing Genesis here, he uses three Hebrew words to categorize the plant life. He uses the first Hebrew word, deshay. It just means grass. And it is those, the, the plant life where there is no seed that is seen by the eye. When you look at grass, you don't see seed in grass. And then he uses the second one, which is translated herb, eseb, which is the seed is the marked feature. You look at that and you can see the seed when you look at that plant. You can see it in, in that growing. And then the third word, which is translated as fruit, is peri. It's the idea that the seed is inside of it. And so Moses uses these three Hebrew words and categorizes the three different types of plant life. And, and interestingly, as he did that, he used a simple natural division. It's estimated on this day, God created plant life and dry land. It is estimated there's more, that there are more than 100,000 species of plant life on the globe. And that there are more than 5,000 different forms of grass alone. The variety and creativity found in creation is amazing. 
If you've ever had the privilege to visit and get out into creation and maybe in a canyon or, or walk in a forest or go snorkeling in, a, in, a tropical, uh, in tropical waters where you can see and just the variety of, of these things that on earth you never even see, but there's these whole worlds that are happening all over in rainforests in different places. And on this day, God, he could have just created one plant that fed everyone. He created all of this variety, all the amazing power beautiful creation, and all of that, the dry land and all of the plant life happened on day three. I want you to take notice because you'll see it several other times here. I said to marking your mind after its kind, and again, we may get into this in a future message, but it's found, that, that phrase is found 10 times in Genesis 1. And that phrase, after its kind, is the rock upon which the whole theory of evolution perishes. See, evolution gives the idea that one kind of being can mutate and evolve into another kind of being. The only problem is we've never been able to observe that happening. And God said, I put a limit that the herb will, will reproduce after its kind. Now within kinds, or families if you will, within kinds, there can be mutations. There can be differences. We, you look around here, in, in, within humans, we have all different, we have short and tall, we have dark hair, we have uh, godly people like me that are losing their hair, and, and we have bald people and long, we have, we have uh, pigments of skin that range from very pale to very dark, and we have all of the above. There are all kinds of of differences within the human race, but what does a human reproduce? A human reproduces a human. And, and he said that I have set it up that these, there can be in, in, the, in the animal of dogs, and within dogs, you can get dogs. We have some poodle mix, and there are a billion different poodle mixes, and you can, but with a dog reproduces a dog. And, and after its kind, and God, that, 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 theory, that phrase alone, those three words blow the theory of evolution out of the water. God has decreed there can be no change from one kind to another kind, and, and he has made that clear from the very beginning of creation. It's interesting. What was that little verse that we said in verse 2? What was that little word, tohu vavohu in Hebrew? It is without form and void. Here's the interesting thing, Bill. I don't know that I've ever quite seen it as I studied for this series. The first three days of creation are the answer to without form. They are the forming of the earth. And the second three days of creation are the answer to void or empty. They are the filling of the earth. So in the first three days, he forms the earth. There's light and darkness, dry land, the, the sky, the waters below, the waters above. He puts all the plant life, but it's empty. There's plant life, but there's no human life or animal life. It's empty. It's just this kind of greenhouse, if you will, of plants everywhere waiting for life to come. He forms the earth in the first days. It was without form. He answers that in the first three days, and then he fills the earth in the second three days. Look at verse number 14. And God said, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons, for days and years. By the way, so he's going to put the stars in the sky. Isn't it beautiful that on day four, before he makes any animal life, before he makes any human life, he's, he's creating the very beings or bodies that will be used to point shepherds to go find the Messiah. They'll find Jesus. He's putting the stars in the sky that would be used to point to his son. 
says in verse number 15, and let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, big, big stars. The greater light to rule the day, the sun, the lesser light to rule the night, the moon. He made the stars also. That's amazing when you study our solar system and the vastness of it. And I could give you stats that would blow your mind and try to, try to give you word pictures. I listened to a, an entire message of a man that masterfully did that. The amazing, and it's all in that one phrase, he made the stars also. The power of our God. That one phrase, all of the solar systems, all of, of, our, of, of, of the Milky Way, all of those things, he made the stars also. Verse 17, and God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good in the evening and the morning were the fourth day. Day four, we have the sun, the moon, and the stars. Again, one of, one of the many reasons I believe these were literal 24-hour days of creation. Those that say these were thousands of years or millions of years, what, what's going, he created plants on day three. Plants can go 24 hours without sunlight. They can't go millions of years without sunlight. So all of the plants are here on day three, and they're waiting for millions of years for the sun to show up to give them life. And, and you'll find inconsistencies like that as you dig deeper into these accounts that, that I believe lead to uh, that, that, that stance. And, and I wouldn't say a good godly Christian that would disagree with me on that. I wouldn't say that we couldn't have fellowship or be friends, but I do believe that the Bible teaches that for a variety of reasons, including the Hebrew words that are used here for evening and morning and some other ideas. But on day four, the sun, moon, and stars, look at verse number 20. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind. There it is again. And every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. <clears throat> and the evening and the morning were the which day, church? The fifth day. On the fifth day, he creates bird and marine animals. Bird and marine animals, water, ocean animals. Evolution teaches us that birds evolved from fish. Genesis teaches that fish and birds appeared at the, on earth at the same time on day five. Scientists have classified millions of different species of animals, more than 800,000 different, 800, different kinds of insects, 30,000 kinds of fish, 9,000 kinds of birds, 6,000 kinds of reptiles, 3,000 kinds of amphibians, 5,000 kinds of mammals. And God did all of that in less time than it takes some of us to return a voicemail <laughs> or an email. Two days, all of the vast beauty and variety of animal life. And on day five, it was birds. He filled the, the sky and he filled the sea. And then we come to day six, verse number 24. And God said, let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beasts of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and 
over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and over all the earth and over everything that creepeth. And, and God goes on to bless them and multiply them. And, and it, it talks about in verse number 31, and the evening and the morning were the sixth day. We're going to jump into those final verses in the coming weeks, but I want to end right there on our passage there in verse 26. So we have day six, God creates land animals and then his crowning achievement, the crowning creation in all of creation, he creates man in his own image. Male and female created he them. He creates humans. He creates the human race, land animals and humans. We're going to dig deeper into the creation of man and woman and, and the implications of that in our lives and in our culture and in our society in the weeks to come. But there's a beautiful symmetry as well. Not only is weeks, welcome home, Madison, good to see you. Not only is weeks one through three about forming the earth and weeks four through six filling the earth, but there's a beautiful symmetry as you study the two sets of three. Set one, day one. Day one is, he, is light. What is day four? The, the first day of the second set of three. Sun, moon, and stars, the luminaries, they go together there. Day two, the firmament. The waters below, the waters above, the sky in between. What did he create on day five? The birds that went in the firmament and the, the uh, animals, the sea creatures that went in the oceans. And then day three, land and plant life. Well, what, who, would, who would fill the land? land animals and humans, and what would God use to feed them? In fact, if you study, uh, unfortunately, we were originally supposed to be vegetarians, if you look through Genesis. And what would God use? Plant life. So the place for land animals and man to live and the things to feed them with. A beautiful symmetry in God's creation and order and beauty and all of those things. And on days three and six, God, God gives a double emphasis, and God said is twice in day three, verse nine and verse 11. And, and God said is twice on day six, verse 24 and verse 26. It's only one time on all the other days. It was almost like those were three divisions of creation, and God said it was good after both of those days. That's our Sunday school lesson. We're going to finish with a brief message and application, but first, we're going to pull that down. You can put the series screen back on. We're going to find out who's paying attention for a picture of Abraham Lincoln. Can't look at your notes. No cheating. All right. Who can tell me? So you can tell your kids what you learned in church when you get in the car today. Who can tell me? You, what did God do on day one? Who can tell me? Day one, I see children's workers, only ones raising their hands. Charlene, go ahead. What was it? Light. All right. Girls have one. The boys have zero. There's a picture of Abraham Lincoln right there. What about day two? Day two. Randy, what was it? Firmament, the heavens, all right. Day three, right over here, yes. Land, what, what, uh, land and plant life, there we go. Todd, this is your sister, right, Todd, from Pennsylvania? Welcome, Girl. welcome. Girls, we got a visitor from Pennsylvania beating us. Oh, day four. Up top, baby, I like it. You're looking sharp. We got extra $5 just because you're dressed nicer than the pastor right there, all right? You are looking good, all right. We've got the sun, moon, and stars. That's day four. So we're two to two. Is that right? All right, boys. Don't let me down. Day, put your hand down. Day six. Day six. Day six. Birds and plants. I tricked you. I, I went a day ahead. It was, I, I didn't go to day five. I'll give it to her because that was day five. But day six is what? Day six is... Land animals, okay, I'm going to keep the rest because no one's raising their hand. Land animals and, uh, and mankind there. So I think the boys won. Is that right? Boys won. Did I get the score right? The boys won? Is that right? I think the girls won. That's all right. Three to two. And uh, if there's any kids in here, see me after church. I got a few more pictures of Abraham Lincoln right there. 
So that's our Sunday school lesson this morning. Now here's the message. Can you stick with me for a few more minutes this morning? If you can, I believe you're going to be helped and challenged in your own life. Last week, four little words. In the beginning, God. This week, three little words. And these three little words are found eight times in this chapter. The first time in verse number three, did you see it? Maybe you were trying to find it as we went through here. To kick off creation, the first three words to kick off day one, the first three words of verse three, would you say it aloud with me? Ready? Begin. And God said. Look at verse number six, the first three words, say it aloud. And God. Verse number nine. Go ahead. Verse 11. And God said. You see it in verse 14. And God said. Verse 20. And God said. Verse 24. And God said. Verse 26. And God said. Verse 28. And God blessed them. And God said. All it took to create everything that we see all around us in this world. Thousands of years ago. And to keep it running for these thousands of years and all of the beauty of creation and the wonder of God's glory and the, the heavens declare the glory of God and, and, and the beauty of the seas and the amazing things that scientists are still discovering to this day and new plants and, and new things and, and new species and all that we're doing, all of that, all that it took was his word. And this morning, the takeaway from the six days of creation for us in 2022 that I want to challenge you with is in the power of his word. It's the title of my message there is great power in the word of God, church. And God said, and we suddenly have night and day. And God said, and we suddenly have an atmosphere where life can survive and can thrive. And God said, and all of the plant life was there. And God said, the sun, moon, and stars, the vastness of which the human mind cannot comprehend. And God said, and the birds, and every, every type of bird, and every variety of bird, and all of those things in the seas, and the large animals, and the way and the sharks and the small fish and the, the microscopic organisms that you can find in just a, a teaspoon of, of, of a pond, you'll find microscopic organisms. God did all of that with his word, and God said, and the birds and the fish, and, and God said, and all land animals, and God said, the human race and the most intricate of all designs, the human body, and, and all of those things, all with the power of his word. And God said. And when we walk out of this room this morning, I want you to walk out remembering the power of the God that you serve and the power of his word in your life. The power of his word. What power? Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews said, for the word of God is quick. That means it's alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. The word of God is alive. This word has power. As they sang right before the message. He didn't just have power for Moses, and he wasn't just the God that came through in the Old Testament. His word didn't just have power in Genesis 1. His word has power on April 3rd, 2022, and God said. What can his word do? From the very first chapter of the Bible, he establishes the power of his word. What can his word do? I would suggest, as we see in this chapter number one, his word creates. His word creates, and God said, Genesis 1, man, we can make things and form things, but only God can create something new out of nothing. 
We can take stuff that we already have and make and, and form. God creates with His Word. Hebrews 11 says, through faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the Word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. It's the power of His Word, the power of His Word, God's Word creates. Number two, what do we find in Scripture? His Word revives. Three little words on creates, and God said, three more little words change somebody's entire life. What was those three words from the mouth of Christ? Lazarus, come forth. The power of His Word. His Word revives. His Word, you know, you find yourself struggling in life, remember He is life. Not sure where to turn, He is the way. Don't know what to believe, He is the truth. His Word has the life-giving power to revive your weary soul. Restore unto you the joy of your salvation. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Get into His Word and let Him revive you. Feeling a little bit uh, down, feeling a little discouraged, feeling a little depleted, feeling a little bit spiritually anemic. What has the power to revive you? God's Word has the power to revive. Lazarus, come forth. And he shook off those grave clothes. He had been dead for more than three days. His Word creates, His Word revives, His Word brings rest. His word brings rest. Three more words. Remember in Mark chapter 4, disciples scared to death, about to die, think they're about to die. It's all over. This one's too big for God. Why did he put us in this place? And what did he say? Three more little words. Just three words. Peace, be still. Those three words. And they were amazed. Even the winds and waves obey him. He's got power over everything. The, 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 the tempestuous ocean, it bows to him. He stops the storm. He calms the storm. Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. What is causing you fear and anxiety today? Let him whisper, peace, be still. Be reminded that even the winds and the seas obey him. He is the prince of peace. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. His word brings rest. His word brings peace. Let his word bring rest to your weary, broken, wounded, struggling soul. The power of his word. What else does his word do? His word brings results in our lives. Struggling to find the answers you're looking for? Things not going the way you had hoped or that you thought they would? Don't know what else to do in your own power? You've looked for answers in every place you know to look? Stop looking to your power and look to his word. In Luke 5, Peter was exhausted. He was exasperated. He was at the end of his rope. I don't know what I'm going to do anymore. This thing's not working. It's, it's all my efforts are in vain. And what happened? What do we see in Peter 5? He was struggling in life. And what did Peter say in Luke 5? Luke 5, verses 5 and 6. Master, we have toiled all the night. We've tried everything in our own strength. We've taken nothing. Nevertheless, what are the next three words? At thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had this done, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net break. That doesn't make any sense. I'm not a big fisherman. You got a boat, Keith. I don't know if you fish much or not. You water ski and stuff. I don't know about fishing. I'm not a big fisherman. It doesn't make sense if I'm fishing off the one side of the boat all, all day or put my net down that by moving it 10 feet or 8 feet to the other side, I'm going to get a... It doesn't make a lot of sense, but there's power in his word. I don't understand what you're doing, God, but at thy word, I'm going to obey what you told me. 
I'm going to go ahead and trust your word when I don't understand. I'm going to keep doing what you want me to do. I don't understand it, but your word has power to bring results in my life that I never expected. I'm going to trust your word. I'm going to obey your word. And when we do that, watch what happens when you and I learn to do that in our lives. When God moves in, things start changing. His word has the power to bring results in our lives. Not only that, his word restores. His word can fix that which was broken. Aren't you thankful for that? He can restore a broken life. Aren't you glad for that? There's no one too far gone from the power of his word. He can cleanse a vile mind. He can heal a hurting heart. He can soften a seared conscience. The centurion came to him on behalf of his servant who was sick. And the centurion said this. He said, speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. Jesus said, I'll come to your house. He said, no, 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 no. I'm not worthy for you to come to my house. Speak the word only. I believe your word can restore. I believe your word can fix what is broken. I believe at your word, you can make this thing right. And what did Jesus say about that statement? Just speak the word. Jesus said, I haven't seen such great faith in all of Israel. I haven't seen such great, a man that believes in the power of my word. Then later in the same chapter, after healing Peter's mother-in-law, we find this verse in Matthew chapter number eight. When the even was come, they brought unto him many that were possessed with devils, and he cast out the spirits, what does it say? With his what church? With his word. And he healed all that were sick. His word restores. His word restores. There's power in his word. We say we believe that. Do we read it? Do we believe it can restore that broken family? Help that orphan child? Reach that godless neighbor? Change that Muslim country? We say we believe in the power of his word, but do we really? Does it make any difference in our lives and in our actions, in our treatment of others, in what we rest upon? His word reshapes. Psalm 119, verse number nine says it this way, wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word. Thy word have I hidden mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Your word reshapes my mind. It reshapes my thinking. It reshapes my priorities. It changes the way that I live. It cleanses our hearts and our minds. You don't need to turn over a new leaf. You and I need to turn to a new passage of scripture. We don't need a new self-help trick. We need to seek help in the powerful principles of Scripture. His Word can reshape our mind, our thinking. It can soften a hardened heart, reshape a cold and bitter sinner, the power of His Word. There are people sitting in this room today that if I told you five or ten years ago you'd be living the life that you're living today, you would say, absolutely not. There's no way I, I, I would be living for different things. What changed? His Word reshaped your heart and your mind. It reshaped your priorities. God's Word can change, and it can transform. The power of His Word, it creates, it revives, it brings rest, it brings results, it restores, it reshapes, and lastly, His Word redeems. What did He say to the thief on the cross? Today, just a few little words, today thou shalt be with me in paradise. That man's eternity was forever different because of the faith he placed in Christ on the cross. By the way, still the same God. Your entire eternity can be different because you place your faith in the Christ on the cross. They didn't stay on the cross, by the way, but was buried and three days later rose again. 
And he can redeem you, buy you back, save your soul, forgive your sins, give you a home in heaven. He can do that for you. There's power in the word of God. What powerful eternity impacting words spoken by our suffering Savior as he died on the cross for your sins and for mine. His word has the answer to the question of where you and I will spend eternity. Paul said to the Romans, he said, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. This word has the power to redeem. It's the word of God that can lead a man. It's the love of Christ that leads us to repentance. But the word of God can lead us to place our faith and trust in Christ alone as Savior. What power? We see this power on full display over and over again. Eight different times in the first chapter of Genesis. And God said. The power of his word. So what's the takeaway for us this week, church family? I would suggest it's this. We need more of God's word in our lives. If it has the power to create and to revive and to restore and to bring rest and to give results and to reshape, to cleanse, to redeem, if it has the power to do all of those things, we'll be okay with less news and less social media and less politics and less sports and less talk shows and less text messages and less emails and less music, but we will be spiritually anemic without more of his word. We don't need pastor more politics or preferences in our pulpits, more opinions in our pulpits. Pastor, I'm speaking to myself, we need more of his word. His word is the one that has the power to give lasting change. You know what other countries need? I'm th- they, they don't need, they don't need more. And I'm thankful for where we can help in physical ways. But the answer, the eternal answer is not more of our aid from America. The eternal answer is for more of God's word, maybe from America or for someone, from somewhere else. We need his word. You and I need that. Pastor, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Preach the word. You and I need more of the word. We need to get to more church services, not less. It's not going to hurt any one of us to make it a priority to be back tonight at five o'clock as our missionary to what we would call restricted access nations comes to tell us what God's doing in parts of the country where they're not real excited about the gospel from political levels, but the gospel is still going forth and changing lives. And you'll see building that were built because of the giving of your your missions, giving and lives that are changed. You'll hear of that and be challenged. We're not going to be hurt in our lives and be weaker because we make more of a priority of God's house. We're going to be strengthened and challenged and helped. It's not going to hurt us to rearrange our schedule so we can be, if we're able to, in a community group on Wednesday nights when the Word is open, to to turn that phone off in the mornings and to open His Word, to maybe put that podcast off and to listen to a podcast that's teaching us more about His Word. And I'm not saying that we become monks that never know anything about the world. What I am saying is how much of His Word is getting into your home and into your marriage and into your life and into your children, into your family, into your business on a daily basis. For all of us, it's convicting for me. We need more of his word, not less. We need to teach it to our children. We need to read and apply it in our personal lives, study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed. We need to memorize it. We need to post it on artwork in our homes. We need to buy our children Bible story books and encourage our teens to dig into the word and have, have, have conversations about issues they're facing and what the Bible teaches about them. We need to sing songs full of scripture and doctrine. We need to run our businesses according to the principles found in his word, the power of his word. And God said there's great power whenever and wherever God says something. By the way, Jesus is called the living word in John chapter number one. We saw it last week. 
We need more of Jesus in our lives. So, so Pastor Ryan, do I need more of Jesus, the living word, or do I need more of, of the Bible? Yes. We need more of the living word and more of the written word. Christian, what are you struggling with? Go to the word. Unbeliever, what are you struggling with? The word has the answers you need. Scared about death? Go to the word. Scared about life? Go to the word. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. What does he say? God's word is what we need. It teaches us what we shouldn't do. It's good for, for it teaches what we should do for doctrine. It teaches what we should do. It teaches what we shouldn't do for reproof, it, for correction. It tells us how to get right. What's not, what is right, what's not right, how to get right, how to stay right. Instruction in righteousness. Why? That we'd be truly furnished, fully equipped to live the life God's called us to live. The power of his word. I'm thankful for books. I'm thankful for podcasts. I'm thankful for all, I, I use all of those things, but let's not neglect the word. It has everything we need. Just remember, it was enough to put this whole world into place with three words, and God said. You don't think it's enough to order your whole life around? It was enough to put the whole world into order and into place. And it's not enough to order your life around? Read it. Meditate upon it. Memorize it. Study it. Talk about it. Let it change you. Let it heal you. Let it give you rest. Let it give you peace. Let it give you joy. Live it. Let it lead you to salvation. His word has every answer to every question that every man has ever had. The power of his word. And... God said. Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.